ladies and gentlemen. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Pod and the Pendulum podcast. I'm your host, Mike Snooney, and joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we doing today? I am doing great. I'm very excited about this. What I what I love about this is, uh, you know, every other series that we've done, we've kind of done one episode on a movie and moved on. I, I love that with this one, this is now our third episode on the first mm-hmm. movie, you know? Yep. And, and rightfully so. I mean, when it comes to uh, not just franchises, but horror films in general, I think this is definitely a movie that takes a lot of time as far as you need to devote time to mm-hmm. talk about it. There's so much as far as history, mythology and everything else. So I'm very excited about this. I'm really happy because I can finally ask our guest today to reimburse me for a pair of underwear <laughs> from 1999. So... But we are joined today by Eduardo Sanchez, co-director, co-writer of the Blair Witch Project, uh, and we are thrilled to have him on today. So, Eduardo, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I really oh, appreciate it. No problem. And our, you know, we do an audio podcast, so people can't see, but that is quite the office you have there, man. I yeah, see. The- I've. Uh... I, I'm like uh, in the middle of like, uh, you know, trying to get rid of some Star Wars crap that I have. I have like so much and uh, it's gotten to the point where it's like it's like hoarder kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. So I stopped uh, kind of cold turkey a few months ago and now I'm just organizing the stuff I have. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's daunting, man. It's yep. uh, I took I took it way too far. Mm-hmm. You're in recovery now. It's beautiful I'm back in, there. Yeah, um, I'm in I'm uh, yeah. I'm in definitely need some recovery on this. this I'm seeing a, that ATAT walker in the bat in the uh, glass case back there, and I'm like, oh, would really like that right now. Yeah, I've, I've got a lot of crazy stuff, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we know we're pressed a little bit pressed for time, so we're gonna dive right in if that's all right. Yeah, and that's um, you know, for me, like I guess the best place to start at the beginning. What I love about the Blair Witch is how much it involves folklore. And I kind of wanted to know, we asked Ben this a little bit too, were there any specific like folklore tales or, you know, tales from your local area growing up that you heard that kind of informed the mythology you put together for the Blair Witch Project? Uh, You know, Ben, you know, uh, and Greg, Greg Hale, um, I think they did a lot of the mythology. I think Ben did most of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, you know, Dan and I, you know, Dan Myrick, who, uh, co-directed and co-wrote the movie with me um really the only i mean the only kind of thing that we had as like mythology that we were kind of that was a good starting point was like the salem witch trials like Mm -hmm. that for us was like okay imagine if there was like a you know a a smaller version of the salem witch trials you know in maryland in this Mm -hmm. town you know blair and uh you know and that's how the mythology you know began um and then other than that it was mostly like you know, we told Ben, uh, we, you know, our, our kind of like marching orders for everybody was kind of like, you know, keep it believable, keep it like, you know, keep, make it a story that seems like it could happen. But then again, it could be something where, you know, some people just got lost in the woods, you know. Mm-hmm. So all the mythology is kind of like, uh, you know, it's creepy and, you know, and the whole idea that it happens every around every 50 years or so. Um, we wanted to keep that. Uh, but other than that, you know, it was just kind of like, let's just make it as real as possible and kind mm-hmm. of like hint at stuff that we've heard. Um, but no, the, you know, uh, the legends around here are mostly like Civil War stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
and you know none of it really kind none of it really fit to what we were doing um so we just kind of let ben do his thing and he came up with the with a nice mythology for us okay so he was like the driving force behind everything you know a lot of the rust and par and things of that nature i take it yeah i mean we we had um uh a couple of yeah we you know like like once he kind of you know, I don't know where, I mean, I know he came up with the name Rustin Parr, but I mm-hmm. don't, but I, I think because we must have, because our whole thing was like, we had certain things that we were developing for the, sh- for the film, like mm-hmm. events, and we knew we were going to end up in a house. So I'm not sure if like what we told Ben about Rustin Parr, whether we told him, Hey, just somebody in the forties was like this hermit who killed, you know, seven kids or whatever. Uh, and then he came up with all the details. Uh, I'm not sure if Dan talked to him or whatever, but I, but 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 there had to have been some coordination because I know he didn't just come up with it and we, you know, retrofitted into the into the film. I think um, mm-hmm. I think I definitely think there was some kind of you know order to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, he definitely came up with all the details. And then and then later on, once you know, we 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 kind of came up with enough. Uh, story to uh, our background information to kind of give Heather and the guys like enough, um, uh, you know, enough background information as to fi- as to what they were out there searching for or you know mm-hmm. trying to do this film about. Um, and obviously Heather knew all knew all that we gave. You know, we gave her all the information. And the guys we never we didn't give any information to. Okay. We figured you know Heather would tell them on the way. You know, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what the coordination was, but I know that we had this idea of like, you know, this house ending up in the end. And and so there must have been some coordination with the whole Rustin Parr story. But other than that, uh, it was just kind of, uh, you know, come up with some creepy stories that are believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about the film is that it was just thrown together. I mean. Even in researching, I mean, the mythology, the planning, everything, even as far as casting, didn't you guys like audition like 2,000 people or something like that before deciding on those three? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was probably around 1,000 people. But yeah, we, we auditioned uh-huh. a lot of people, uh, mostly out of New York City. And then we went to, you know, we did some here in D.C. We did some in uh, in California and Orlando. Um, but mm-hmm. really, the, the you know, the major talent was out of New York City. And um yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, we knew that we were going to uh, improv uh, most of the film. So, you know, uh, probably all of the film. I mean, you know, I, I think w- w- the way we were going to do it was kind of leave the, 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 the actors out there for, a, you know, for a few hours at a time to do certain scenes. And then we would go back and check out the footage. And then, you know, that was the initial plan. Um, so uh, yeah, so it was we we needed like a, a really a special kind of actor. When did you decide that instead of like shooting a few scenes and then looking back at it and then going back out, when did you decide we're going to scrap that and basically um, do psychological warfare on our trio for a week? Uh, yeah, I, I mean we, we I mean we were gonna we were gonna do it anyway. I mean we you know they even the auditions we knew you know they knew that we were gonna do some stuff to them. I mean you know because that was kind of the story of the movie, um, especially at night. But Greg Hale, our producer, um, I'm not sure when the idea came, but it was closer to like the production of the movie um, in in '97. And he said he was like, hey, you know, what about why don't we just leave them out there? <laughs> You know, and Dan and I were like, 
what? You know, and he was like, yeah, why don't we just leave the actors out there and we give them, you know, coordinates through a G, you know, GPS. We buy a couple of GPS machine, you know, little machines and we um, send them out there with coordinates. And as soon as Dan and I heard that, you know, our whole thing was like, okay, how do you, how do you keep control of your story? How do you keep control of your film that way? But the more we thought about it, the more we realized that really it was going to work really well because, you know, what we were going to, what were we going to do? Like bring them out of the woods every night and have them sleep in the hotel. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, that was definitely not what we were going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, um, we just started thinking in that way of like, how do we you know, direct them and how do we, you know, give them the information we need or they need without like, you know, with it, with minimal contact, you know, cause that was kind of the big thing. Like, let's try to not, you know, not, not, not talk to them, uh, talk to them as little, communicate with them as little as possible, um, just to kind of keep them isolated out there. So, um, you know, I, it was definitely Greg Hale's idea. And then I think Dan and I just kind of realized, yeah, I mean, if we can pull this off, um, yeah, I think it's the best way to do it. And, that, and then it was just a matter of like, how do we pull it off and how do we, you know, not, not freak out the actors and not, you know, kill them, not, you know, not make sure that mm-hmm. they don't get hurt. And then, then Greg kind of came up because Greg had like a, a lot of, he had, he, he went through special forces training and he knew kind of, they did, they did like these scenarios where they would like throw the, 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 like a little squad out into the middle of the woods and they would be kind of alone for like three days. And, um, and I think they used GPS for that. So he kind of had an idea of like, I think we can, you know, of how we did it, how we could do it. And, um, he luckily he was there to kind of guide us and kind of give mm-hmm. us the, the 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 kind of the rules of engagement and also you know and the idea of like you know making sure that the actors were um you know within walkie talkie distance of us you know at all times right. uh, you know because that was our main thing like we don't want you know we 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 don't want you know we don't want we won't really want to kill these people you know we don't really want to hurt them um so that was a big thing for us you know just make sure that they were when obviously we ran it by the actors and um and they were like totally like yeah sure. let's do it you know so so how nerve-wracking was it for you as the director to not have that kind of oversight immediate oversight of the film where you really entrusted josh mike and heather with your film um not just what they said but what they saw how yeah. nerve-wracking was that for you? It was, I mean, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a full, the whole movie was an experiment. And um, I think, you know, Dan, Dan and I always, the, the, the original idea for the movie, though, it, it was going to be a true documentary. It was going to have, you mm-hmm. know, footage of the, you know, the filmmakers lost in the woods. And then we were mm-hmm. going to cut away to interviews. And so I think that Dan and I were like, you know, this might not be the ideal way to like keep control of the, you know, of the story and like really kind of like micromanage, you know, a set, you know what I mean? Um, but I think we're going to, you know, we're going to have enough footage and then we can kind of, you know, if, if it doesn't come out exactly the way we want, we always have the other the documentary to kind of fill in mm-hmm. the space. And yeah. so we, you know, so we felt like even if, even if they screw up, you know, even if we screw up 50% of the footage, we're still going to have more than enough to work in this documentary. Is uh, that where the, uh, the phase one and phase two aspects? Yeah, to it? that's what, yeah. Phase one was in the woods, you know, the three filmmakers. And then phase two was all the documentary stuff that mostly yeah. ended up on uh, curse of the Blair witch. Um, so, you know, I mean, it was, it was definitely nerve wracking, but I think, I, I think that if we had, 
you know, if somebody had told us, hey, all this documentary stuff you're going to shoot for phase two, you're not going to you're not going to use it in the movie. Like if somebody mm-hmm. had gone into the future and told us that, I think Dan and I would have freaked out a little more and probably, okay. you know, micromanaged the shoot more, which would have okay. been a complete detriment to the, you know, the production. Um, like like I, I think if we were like, all right, well, you got to come up with like, you know, 80, 85, 90 minutes of footage from this thing. I think we would have mm-hmm. been like, oh, my God, we have to direct them more you know, yeah. carefully and kind of do it a little bit more, um, you know, a little more normal, you know, not such an experiment. So it was good yeah. that we kind of came up with that decision You made, you know, that we cut all the phase two stuff much later in the, in the process. Um, because, you know, it would, I think it would have been a different story. Um, you know, if we had, if we had that much footage, mm-hmm. to shoot, we, we knew if we knew we had that much footage to shoot, we like, we, we didn't have, we didn't have that safety net of phase two. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would have been a different story for sure. I do have to ask, whose idea was it to use the uh, code word taco? I think that was all Greg. Uh, <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, Dan and I were basically, you know, w- once prep began, you know, yeah. Dan was mostly in the house, you know, at the, at the Rustin Parr house, you know, clearing the graffiti and mm-hmm. um, him and Rick Marino, the art director, were out there a lot and just kind of, you know, fix. There were some holes in the floor, of course. The steps going down to the cellar were, you know, you, you know, the, we had to put new steps in there. Um, you know, just kind of make it at least safe, halfway safe for, you know, for us to be in there. Um, so, and then, so, so that was that was Ben's big thing. And then Dan and I just basically walked through Seneca Creek State Park, which is where we shot the movie, and we came up with the GPS coordinates. Like, we were like, okay, this is where Coffin Rock is going to be, and this is where mm. they're going to cross the, the, the you know, the, the, the log. Here's this log that they have to cross, and here's the GPS. You know, so we would enter all the GPS coordinates and keep track of where they were. And then, and then ev- everything else pretty much Dan did, I mean, uh, Greg did, like, on the logistical side, like, figuring out, you know, the, the code words, kind of laying it out all out for the actors so they knew, you know, what was going on, figuring out like where to put the base camps, you know, so that we were close enough to the to them, but we weren't, you know, too close to them. Um, was was it Greg's idea? Greg. Uh, was it Greg's idea to kind of do the uh, give them, you know, less and less food each day? You know, kind I, of that thing? Or was that something I, everyone kind of came yeah, up with? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that was kind of something that you know, we played it, you know, once, once we realized, okay, this is going to be a seven or eight day play basically in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point we started kind of making all the notes of like, okay, let's, let's start taking, a, you know, start giving them less food. Um, let's, you know, w- you know, kind of mapping out everything that happened when, you know, Josh was going to leave this, the, the, you know, the movie when he was going to be taken out. Um, you know, all that stuff kind of came as we, as we, when we realized that we were going to be in the woods for eight days. And then Dan and I kind of planned, took the script and kind of broke it up and kind of planned it out. Like, how are we going to lay it out in this, you know, the, this two square mile area that the park was in, um, just to keep them walking and stuff. So that was, you know, all the logistical stuff was mostly Greg. I mean, you know, Dan and I were just in the woods kind of walking around and getting lost most of the time. Was there ever a moment where you kind of felt like maybe the improv would get a little too crazy? I mean, uh, with Heather and yeah. especially, I mean, Heather it and gets Josh pretty in intense. Yeah. Yes, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the, the um, very early on, there was a there was a incident where um, Heather, where where Mike and Josh, 
reached out to Ben, who Ben, I think, had, was delivering stuff to them. And uh, mm-hmm. they were like, hey, we need to talk to Ed or Dan or whatever. So I went out there. You know, he, Ben came back and said, they, need, they want to talk to you. So I went out there and and uh, and uh, Mike and Josh felt that the night before, Heather had, um, you know, character-wise, had gotten to the point where, like, you know, that Mike and Josh would just leave. That's like, you know, that he was, they were, she was really mistreating them, like really being abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we looked at the footage and we were like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, she's, you're, you know, it was the first night that, that they, that they heard noises. So we were like, man, she's already at like DEFCON, you know, she's already at 11, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we realized, okay, this is going to keep building. So we need to bring her down. So, you know, and, and Mike and Josh were actually, you know, were kind of like, look, as characters, if somebody had treated us that way, we would leave. I mean, this is, you know, we, we're yeah. the ones doing her a favor. You know, she's not mm-hmm. paying us. We're here, you know, to shoot her film. You know, there's no way that she should treat us this way. So we talk, I talked to Heather. And I said, look, let's scale it back a little bit. You know, that you still got, we still have, you know, four or five days of, you know, horror coming your way. So we have to slowly build it up. And if you start, you know, all the way at the maximum we're not going to be able to you know to you know you're not going to have anywhere to go you know and uh, and also i was like you know and you also you need you know you're you're a filmmaker you have to you know you're the you're the leader you're the director you can't you know don't abuse your your you know your don't think you can abuse your crew you know what i mean like that's like the first rule of when you're especially when you're not paying people it's like don't be nice be cool to your crew you know um, well i think that's 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 also a part of the actual film that that works and makes it feel even more human. There is that kind of uh, aspect of Heather just kind of blowing up at people. But then, uh, and now after you say that, it makes perfect sense. But then after that, there's these quiet moments where she's actually trying mm-hmm. to comfort them and, you know, get yeah. closer to them. Yeah, so, and, yeah, that definitely yeah, works. And, and you can see that, you know, like she really, you know, and I talked to Heather and she was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm totally on board with it. And you could see kind of her being a little more, you know, friendly and a little more, you know, um, just kind of, you know, not not being so so harsh with them. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the, the the thing the thing that that happened was that when we got the footage back, the, you know, you were asking a question like, "What do you think the improv? Did I ever have a, a moment where the improv wasn't, you know, we didn't think it was going to work? I mean, we knew it was going to work. We just didn't know how much of it was going to work." You know, mm-hmm. we didn't know if we were gonna, you know, and, and again, I, you know, we were only looking for maybe half an hour of footage, maybe forty minutes of footage. And the rest of it was gonna be documentary, so we weren't super worried about it. Um, but Dan and I did have to go through and, like, you know, just kind of cut out. Oh, you know, I, 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 I mean, I know they argue a lot, but you, if you watch the raw footage, they are arguing like, you know, eighty percent of the time. I mean, it's literally like, you know, hours and hours of arguing. So. We um, we kind of just edited, edited, you know, kind of selectively edited the scenes and said, all right, she's a little she's being a little too harsh here or Josh is being a little too harsh or Mike is being too much of an asshole. And, you know, and slowly because really the movie was born in the editing room, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So slowly yeah. sculpted the storyline and also was kind of an interesting thing is that originally Mike was, was going to be pulled out. Like in the that's my question. Yeah, in, in all the auditions or or the the callbacks that we did because we did the scene where like you know Josh is yelling at them from the woods and you know they don't know where he is and um and it was always the sound guy it was always the sound guy that got taken out so in during you know 
Dan and, and, and Mike was supposed to be the one that was being, you know, pulled out even while we were in production. And then Greg, uh, Dan and I started looking at the footage and um, we realized that, uh, that, you know, Josh and uh, Heather were really kind of butting heads, like a lot more than her and Mike. And Mike was mm -hmm. also butting heads, but Mike, her and Josh were really butting heads. And we were like, you know, if we pull Josh out, there, there's going to be like this different kind of tone we you know we felt like just mm -hmm. so we decided at the last minute to pull josh out so then in the edit we kind of had to go back and you know make you know kind of uh you know sculpt it like again kind of edit it so that um it made sense when josh left like there was kind of a you know we kind of did you know we built josh's arc you know really concentrated mm -hmm. on it before we pulled him out you know what i mean um, mm -hmm. but, you know, we, but it was, you know, it was good. But, and, but I think that, you know, there's, there's so much footage. I think that you could do like a lot of like, you could do like a, you could definitely do like a three hour version of the movie. I don't mm -hmm. know if I would sit with it through it, but, um, but there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of really great scenes that, you know, that we just had to cut out. You know, I mean, there was a scene, there's a scene like after she finds the bundle, the stick bundles, the, the bundle of sticks with uh, Josh's teeth in them, you know, in it, um, where it's like, you know, it's near the end of the movie. They're like hungry. They're just lost. They're it's kind of hopeless for them. And Mike and her and Mike like kind of lost it. Like he was like, you, you only see the end of it. Like when he's rocking on that little stump, mm -hmm. you, you only see the end of it, but there's this whole like 20 minute breakdown of him yelling and punching trees and like really, really like, like, like kind of like nutty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, we just didn't have time for it. We just like, you know, we can't, you know, we can't devote this much time to it at the, you know, at this point of the movie. So there's a lot of really cool little moments that, um, you know, never made it in. So most of the movie, like, really was directed, I think, in, you know, with great, with Dan and I kind of editing, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes together and just kind of, you know, making the footage work. So one of the things I love about the movie is that we talked about this and we compared to, say, Halloween where Halloween, Friday the 13th, they put you in the point of the view of the killer and they with those first-person shots, and that's who, as an audience, you empathize with and cheer for after a while. This movie, the whole movie's from the point of view mostly of Heather, but also Mike and Josh. Now, like, when Heather is getting screamed at, I'm getting screamed at as an audience member. Yeah. And not only that, but when they're peering into the woods and they cannot see anything, I cannot see anything. Yeah. And it really changed the way I felt as an audience member. Like it, it ratcheted up that terror, even without just creating images in my head. Yeah. What was the, was there, what sort of temptation was there to add more to say like, we need to show something. And when did you decide, no, like what we're creating, looking at our footage is a hundred times scarier than any sort of bogeyman we can put on screen. Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 original idea of Blair Witch was, you know, Dan and I in like, um, you know, 90 or 91, you know, we were in film school and we started watching horror movies, renting movies from our childhood. And mm -hmm. we rented like in a bunch of In Search of episodes and Legend of Boggy Creek and, you know, all those kind of like pseudo documentaries. Mm -hmm. And so, and our whole thing was like, what makes these things so scary is that they're, you know, it's like, it's reality. Like they're, they're telling you that this is real. They're just like, it's just like a, it's a, it's a documentary. It's supposed to be completely real. 
And um, and the, so the original idea was like these people go into the woods and we had, you know, we had very little, you know, as far as story that first weekend. But we did have this scene where it was like, you know, the camera goes into the, you know, you see this house, this creepy dilapidated house. And the camera goes in and the audience, there's no escape for the audience because the audience knows, oh, shit, we're going into that house. You know, we're going into that house. And there's no alternate view. There's no like sunset shot. You know, there's no, you're with the characters the whole time. There's no POV of the killer. There's no wide shot of them approaching the house. There's nothing to separate you, you know, from what the characters are, are, are going through. And we felt like that kind of POV camera, um, you know, with just like what the hell's going, you know, happening around the corner. What's you know what's gonna what's going on down that you know going down a hall and seeing this creepy door and and you know seeing you know the first ideas were like pentagrams and like you know there's like bits of sacrifice have happened in this house and you're going down into the cellar and you're going down you know and then the light of the camera is all the only light you see. So that was to us like that was that was Blair Witch like that was the idea that we were trying to you know to convey and then and then the documentary stuff would be more of like okay let's give the audience a little relief to come back and see like you know heather's mom and heather's boyfriend and mike's you know mm -hmm. girlfriend and the detective and all that you know all that stuff um so you know but then once we started editing the movie and especially once we decided to remove the all the phase two stuff um yeah we realized that like you're stuck you're stuck with them the whole time and, I, and we thought that that was going to create something unique, um, you know, for the audience, you know, for, you know, because there, there is no relief, you know, there is no relief in Blair Witch. I mean, I, I know that uh, some people wish there was relief, but no, there was no relief, you know, like the shaky, the, the, the sensibility of the footage, would, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're walking around, they're not, they don't have a steady, they can't afford a steady cam, it's going to be shaky. And, I, and yeah. of course, we never thought, you know, we're like, oh, at least, you know, on video, people will be able to handle the shakiness because I have mm -hmm. I have bad motion sickness. So, um, like every time I watch Blair Witch, I have to sit all the way in the back of the of the theater. So, you know, that, that was just it. So everything was, you know, every, all the decisions in the movie were based on like how like what, you know, what is Heather? What would Heather really shoot? What would these guys really record on audio? What would it really look like? What would it really sound like? That's why we decided to go with no music. Um, you know, that's why we decided that, you know, there was not going to be any, like, you know, fill light and then at night, you know what I mean? There's no there's no fake illumination in Blair Witch. You know, it's just the light yeah. on the camera and flashlights, you know? Um, so that everything was based on, like, okay, what would really happen? And, and we tried, you know, I mean, I think that as far as, like, showing stuff, I think by the end of the movie... If we had, if somebody had said, "Hey, here's fifty thousand dollars, and here's, you know, an, a, a, a couple of really talented effects artists on, you know, making a, a, a witch or making, you know, some creepy," but since we didn't have any money, um, you know, we definitely we just had to kind of come up with that ending. And so we, sure again, like, how do you end Blair Witch Project? Right. right. Yeah. It was a huge challenge. Um, so. You know, at the end, we were like, okay, let's just do this. And then, you know, if we have to, we can reshoot it. If it doesn't work, whatever. But that was the idea we had. Like, you know, Mike standing in the corner and not turning around. Like, why wouldn't he turn around to, to say, you know, to talk to Heather? What, you know, saying, like, why would why would he not acknowledge Heather screaming for months out behind him? Yeah. So for us, it was like enough, you know, of a creepy moment to, um, 
to kind of end the film. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of temptation to like not show stuff or, or like to you know to show little you know as little mm-hmm. as possible. But I think it was mostly done because we had no you know we have very limited resources. Sure. Well, I think that's what works best for for the film and and most horror films. I mean, I I think Jaws is scariest when you don't see the shark, you know, that opening scene and and stuff like that. I think when films uh, kind of show too much, they kind of lose that sense of uh, suspense and stuff. Absolutely. Or when, like, a creature is shown too early. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, I think there are some movies where that works because it's just a different kind of thing, but, like, Something like this, where it's supposed to be creepier, like Jaws, you know, like, you know, the, the Jaws model works really well. You know what I mean? The idea of, like, slowly revealing the creature and in the end giving the audience what they want. Um, and for us, you know, we, we couldn't afford to give the audience what they want, what they, you know, what they expected, you know, because you expected to see mm-hmm. something sure at the end. I mean, that's just the way, you know, it is. Bad, you know, CG or some bad, you know, uh, dinosaur or something, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The only cool, the only, um, there's another show, I think it was the Horror Virgin that said, like, what if there was, like, a pair of feet floating above the camera, like a pair of hairy feet or something, like, that's all you would see, like, elevated. Yeah, like, like, oh, that would be neat. Yeah, no, I mean, that, like, our, the, 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 the closest we came to, like, doing something physical was, you know, when, the, when, when, um, when Heather's camera fell, mm-hmm. you know, we were gonna, we were thinking of, like, Imagine if you hear footsteps, mm-hmm. and then you see like, like a hoof, like a hoofed mm-hmm. leg come in front of the camera, and then right. the mm-hmm. camera up. You know, so you see this like, what the hell? Like a hairy, like a like a horse yeah. leg. You know what I mean? That was yeah, the, that was as close as we came to like actually showing. You. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there was. I mean, I think you know you could have definitely come up with some cool stuff. It was just kind of like, yeah. you know, at the you know we were we were running out of time and we were we were already shooting. We didn't have an ending, so it was kind of like let's just do this and then we can come back and shoot something different if we need to. Right. Well, I think it still works really well. I think that for audience members that paid attention yeah. and like remembered what's going on earlier in the movie, it's a perfect ending. Yeah. And even if you like have a short attention span and don't remember what happened an hour ago. It's still, like you said, like, why is this dude just standing in the corner while someone else is screaming? Like, that, and I've said this when we did the show, like, if you ever want to creep someone out, go in a basement and just stand in the corner and don't move. Yeah. Even if you've yeah. never seen this movie, that's fucked up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah I think totally. uh, where, where yeah. a, a lot of films that were uh, definitely inspired by your film kind of went wrong is there was never a justification or there was never anything that warranted still filming stuff. Uh, you know, and I think that's the, the quickest way for me as a viewer to be like, okay, well, why are you still filming things? You know, yeah. like, there's no point. Whereas your film, I mean, everything feels warranted. Did you ever, like, were you ever concerned about, like, maybe, like, pulling pulling that back? Or, yes. or I, mean, I, I mean, I think that, I think as far as, like, the main problem that Dan and I and Greg, because Greg was very much involved in, uh, he was almost like a third director. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest thing we were concerned with was like, why are they still shooting? You know, like why the hell would you still be shooting? So that's why there was, you know, and we did it a lot and we cut it, you know, but we, we really wanted to make that to give them a reason to keep shooting. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And I think what we what we eventually figured out was that 
you know, Heather's just doing it to like keep her sanity, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and Josh, I think, does a great did a great has a great little scene where he's shooting through he's shooting Heather and he goes, hey, I see I see why you like shooting. It's kind of a filtered reality, and we. Yeah. We completely knew that that's exactly what we were looking for, you know, what we were trying to, to do. But but at the same time, there's there's a lot of notes where we were like, you know, like Mike is always like, you know, Mike and Josh, like, turn the camera off. You know, like to me, that was a natural thing. Like after you after a while, you'd be like, dude, turn that camera off. I'm going to punch you in the face. You know, what I mean, like mm-hmm. enough of this. You know what I mean? So. um we were very much aware of it and we just kind of we wanted to make sure that we reminded the audience you know every you know few minutes or a few you know every act or every you know 10 minutes or 15 minutes we we constantly wanted to to kind of remind them why they were still shooting and mm-hmm. then at the end i think it kind of you know it, you know it's a necessity of found footage movies you know if you turn the footage off your movie ends um, yeah, but, but so we were definitely concerned about that, and and we just felt like, all right, look, you know, if, if people are worried about this, then the whole movie's not going to work, and you know, there's nothing really we can do to to, to you know that, that's going to fix this, it, other than just kind of you know talk about it amongst the characters and really explain why they're still shooting, and then also you know, and then we we kind of worked it into the directing notes. I, I I'm pretty sure where it was like Heather's like. You know, we told Heather like you're the shooting is the only thing that's keeping you sane. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the best line in the entire you film. You have to keep the camera rolling. You have mm-hmm. to. Keep, and then we and then for us like you know for other directing notes for Mike or Josh we're like you got to get Heather to stop shooting everything. Like you got like this is a major thing. Like you are just tired of her shooting, shooting pointing that video camera at you. Um, so you know that's kind of the tension that we played. And luckily you know our actors were you know, so good and like, you know, just really, really brought everything that Dan and I kind of had, you know, formulated in the script. They brought it to life, you know, and, and, and you know, just in a, in a really marvelous way. Well, I think that's what that makes it work so well is you, you obviously thought about that. You know, you didn't just discard it and play down thinking your audience would be dumb. You know, you worked it into Heather saying that. Or, I mean, even your segment in VHS, too. There's very much a reason for that to be filmed. You know, it's yeah. a GoPro on his head. So, yes. I mean, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I mean, I think, you know, found footage, you know, you know, has evolved, you know what I mean? And I think that it's mm-hmm. more of like, you know, it's more accepted now. But, yeah, back in that, in that time period, you know, we were, that was our biggest concern is the idea, like, is it, is it ridiculous that they're still shooting? Mm-hmm. Like, is it like, you know, how, you know, how, why would they still be shooting? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, or like, you know, like, uh. You know, like there's a there's a moment in um, in Cloverfield where I, where I'm like, dude, I would have just thrown that camera at the creature and run the other way. You know what I mean? But obviously, you you know you you don't have a movie if mm-hmm. the cameraman throws the camera away. So uh, you know it works better in some way. You know, not not that that threw me out of the movie completely, but you know, in, in all found footage movies, there's always a moment of like, okay, why? Why are we doing this? Why are they still shooting this? Why are they, you know, and hopefully that you know the the story and the acting and you know you know what's happening on screen will keep you know you know will give you mm-hmm. gives you enough to kind of you know ignore that. But yeah, it is a big problem with found footage movies for sure. So was there we, any point in uh, filming where you just kind of thought to yourself, "We have something special here"? Um, 
when we when we reviewed the footage, um, I mean, look, all the footage was good, you know, um, mm-hmm. but we we couldn't review all of it. You know, they were shooting way more than we could review. So we would watch Dan. And I would sit and watch for a little while, and then we would have to go and do some stuff in the woods, or you know, yeah. do directing notes or whatever. There was always something to do. So. Um, you know, we knew that it was working. We're like, yeah, it's believable. Yeah, you can, you know, it's really cool. It's their, the dialogue is good. And there's, you know, we gave uh, Heather some pointers, like when you're walking with the camera, zoom out all the way. Do not zoom in unless you're like really stationary because it's just, you know, it's worthless if you're walking with the camera zoomed in. Um, you know, kind of the same thing with Mike, just kind of audio pointers. Um, but, um, the uh i forgot the question what was the question when you knew that you had like what was the point where you said like you know what we have something here that is better when uh when we sat down and we watched um the map scene where where mike admits that he kicked the mic in the creek because that was not scripted that was like one of the it was one of the moments that was complete improv that was like mike williams just you know Happened to kick the creek, the the map in the wood in the creek, and he thought that Heather and Josh were going to be like, "What are you doing?" And nobody saw it, so he was really? like, "Really? Yeah, nobody saw it." So he was like, "All right, what do I do here?" And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he if he told us that or he did it on his own. But I just know that when we when Dan and I watched that scene, we were like, you know, our jaws were, you know, we were like as much into the movie as any audience member could be and we were you know we were shooting the movie we were like the directors of this damn thing you know mm-hmm. so at that moment we realized wow this that scene is really powerful and like that's something that we didn't even think of so you know for us it was like that was our first taste of like uh, of a completely new scene in our own movie you know what i mean um, because the Definitely. rest of it, you know, I mean, the dialogue and everything was all improv, but, you know, the story was, you know, they were following the story that Dan and I were, you know, laid, had laid mm-hmm. out months before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was like on, you know, in the townhouse that we were living in, that we were using as a production office, we, you know, watching the, the tapes. Um, that was the moment where kind of Dan and I, and I think Greg was probably there too. We kind of looked at each other and we're like, all right, I think we might have something here. So that was it. That was that. That was just pivotal, you know, for us. And then how did you come to decide to lean heavily into the audience suspension of disbelief, not only with the movie itself, but all of the paraphernalia surrounding it, whether it's Curse of the Blair Witch, the website, the wanted posters, actually the missing posters. Um, When did you decide, like, we're not going to tell people it's real but if they want to believe that we're not going to necessarily dispel them of that notion either yeah we yeah i mean we early on we um we kind of made a point of like not having of of telling people that it wasn't real like you know we we never imagined that we were going to be that we were going to market the movie as a as Mm -hmm. a real movie like we felt that that was either going to be illegal or it was going to get us in trouble Mm -hmm. some way and we were also like... So snuff films are illegal, is what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> you know, or the idea that, like, you know, you're, mar- you know, you're marketing something that isn't real, but you're saying it's real. Okay. You know? Like, we were, we were worried about... Because, you know, because even in... Like, when I was young, there was a movie called Faces of Death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you yeah. know, it was like a VHS that was going around. 
And um, and when, you know, everybody's like, oh, that's real. And when I watched it, the only thing I was thinking about was trying to disprove it, like trying to look at, all right, that's mm-hmm. fake. And there's a cut there and this, you know, whatever. So I went into it with a completely bad attitude. So and I think so Dan and I when and Greg, when we were editing the movie, we were like, look, we can't we can't release this as a hoax because people are going to be pissed off and there's going to be a major backlash. So we decided that, you know, we were going to tell everybody and, 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 um, you know, but that didn't like stop us from like creating like a world or a real feeling world around mm-hmm. this, this movie, you know? So and like, like on the website, like I did the original website before Artisan took over and, you know, everything was real. Like everything was like, yeah, hey, uh, you know, the, these people just dis- disappeared in the woods the you know the the, the police investigated the, you know investigated the footage um they didn't they didn't find any evidence of foul play i mean you know what are they going to do with that footage you know you can't arrest anybody um mm-hmm. so they gave it back to heather's mom because the footage would belong, belong to her legally heather's mom hired hacks and films to do a doc to do a documentary about the footage so that was that was the thing. That was like a timeline. This is what we're doing, and this is you know some shots from the from the footage, and this is the the mythology of the Blair Witch. This is Heather Donahue's journal. This is that whatever. But if you really dug down deep into the website, you saw that there was producers and writer directors, and you know yeah. you know the, the movie was being made you know in a conventional mm-hmm. way. So we never like you know pretended or we never lied to anybody. We never like somebody said, is this real? We like, oh yeah, that's real. We never did that. And then once Artisan bought the movie, um, they, uh, you know, John Hageman, who was the head of marketing over there was like, Hey, I th- we're going to market. This is real. We're going to keep the actors out of, you know, out of the spotlight for about, you know, the first week or two. Um, only you and Dan are going to be doing press. And we told them, we're like, look, you guys do what you want. You know I mean? Obviously you guys know better than us. Um, but we, you know, we're not going to lie to any press. We're not going to say, oh yeah, it's real, whatever. We're just going to go and, you know, and do the interview like it was a regular, like it was a normal film. And they were like, no, no, that's cool. That's fine. You know, we're not, we don't expect you guys to lie. So, um, it was completely their thing. You know what I mean? And, and then for us, it was just like, at least all the stuff that kind of, you know, the, the website was, was for us like a marketing tool. You know, it was like, how do we get, how do we get the word out? Yeah. We, have no, we have no money. We can't like, you know, you know, we can't do any direct mailings. We have nothing. You know, we have we can afford a website, maybe fifteen bucks a month to host a website. And luckily, I had a, I had built some websites previously, so I built this very simple website. Um, and that's and it was just pure marketing. And then the at least far as Curse of the Blair Witch, Artisan, you know, art. I mean, look, the the thing about Blair Witch and the whole marketing was that we definitely like were instrumental in kind of like the the idea of the marketing and kind of a lot of the stuff that kind of came into play in the marketing but artisan like john hageman and um Amaret jones and all the people over there in the marketing department like they were like totally open to just kind of breaking the rules you know what i mm-hmm. mean so um you know, we had made all this stuff. Like we had made the one, you know, the the, the missing poster because we have it. We had a scene in Curse of the, in um, Phase Two where you see Heather's mom, you know, putting these po- post these missing posters up around Burkittsville. You know, because that's mm-hmm. what mom would do. You know, what I mean, that's what you would do. Um, so that missing poster was already done, and when artisan when artisan saw it, they're like, "Holy shit, we can do this. We can put this up at Can, and we can put it up here and there, mm-hmm. whatever." So. Um, 
you know, and then Curse of the Blair Witch was kind of like, look, you know, they came to us and they were like, hey, we made a deal with Sci-Fi Channel and we can do like a one-hour special on Blair Witch. Do you guys have any ideas for something we could do? And we were like, we know exactly this. Yeah. We can take this footage that we didn't use and we can make a, a real documentary about the mythology and about this missing footage. So um, it was very much like... Um, you know, uh, you know, it was very na a natural flow of ideas between us and artisan, and even even the trailers. Like they, we had no idea what kind of trailer to do for these movie for this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like how the how do you, and then they sent us you know first cuts of the trailer. And we were like, that's how you do it. You just kind of make it. You don't you don't do a conventional trailer. You just throw these things out there and kind of you know freak people out and make people wonder like what the hell is this? Like that's really what you want people to. Mm -hmm. That's really what those trailers, you know, did. Um, so, you know, they were really, really good. And they and, you know, Artisan was the perfect company to buy Blair Witch for sure. I mean, I don't know. Nobody else. I don't think anybody else would have made would have, would have done what what they did. You know, Blair Witch would have not done. Mm -hmm. I think if Miramax had bought it or any because I think that they, they just weren't. Artisan was kind of like this. They were small enough, but they were, but they had enough resources to do, you know, kind of bigger things. But they were small enough to kind of take risks. So they were, they just rolled the dice, man, and and it paid off for them, you know. I think the yeah, I it is it was a time where you could take risks too. Like it's you were so at that point maybe little invested in it overall that you're like, why not see what throw what we can throw at the wall? Yeah, I mean, you know, they they you know they bought the movie for you know a pretty low amount for, you know, advanced, yeah. you, know, you know, a lot for us. And then, and then, you know, they right. were using, they had just, they released pie the year before and they had done mm -hmm. a really great job with it. And, uh, and I think they were just kind of like, you know, this kind of, they, they really loved like this gorilla kind of marketing. Um, and they felt that Blair, Witch was like the perfect, you know, uh, movie to do mm -hmm. it. For. So, mm -hmm. uh, it was a really good partnership. Man. Okay. I wanted to ask about, the, probably the most iconic scene in the movie, which is Heather's like video confession at the end, yeah. and I just was well, that's like it was obviously lampooned mercilessly uh, in yeah. the years that followed, which is yeah. unfortunate. Um, but I, you know, I think it's what people remember the most from the movie. What sort of direction did was she given in order to create that, and when did you know? And was it what you envisioned, or is what ended up happening? just like above and beyond what you kind of expected when you envisioned that moment? I mean, it, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, Dan and I knew that, that it was going to be, you know, that, that if we cast the right people that, that, you know, there were certain scenes that were going to be, you know, pivotal that were going to be like, you know, really, um, you know, really remembered, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and we knew, and, you know, the whole idea of like pointing a camera at yourself and like, basically you know your last will and testament basically because you know you're going to die i mean that mm -hmm. that's a powerful you know that's a powerful scene we knew that was going to be a powerful scene and actually we had mike do one too like mike does a little confessional mm. um because we wanted to you know we wanted to them to we wanted both of them to realize that they were not going to get out of the woods and we, and we yeah. loved the idea of like okay what would what's heather going to do now that we've told her that she's not getting out of these woods you know so the direction was, um, you know, find you know find a place where you can go where you know Mike is not gonna, you know, the, where Mike either Mike is asleep or Mike is in the tent or you know whatever. Tell him that you want to go out alone, 
and just go off into the woods and point the camera at yourself and just give us, this is the last thing that people are going to see from you. You know, like this is, you know, you, you have to say goodbye to everybody. You have to apologize. You have to tell people you love them. Like this is your, your last, you know, this is the last 10 minutes of your, that people are going to see of your life. And, um, and we just left it at that, man, because we knew she was going to, you know, to go somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. special. And, um, and again, it's one of those scenes, just like the, the, uh, you know, the ma- kicking the map into the woods, into the river scene, into the creek scene, mm-hmm. just like floored us, you know, and, and it's, you know, obviously it's a lot longer in the cut in the, the raw footage, but it was just like, we couldn't believe that, um, that, I mean, we, we knew that Heather was special, you know, like when we, we saw her in the auditions and the reason she got the part was that she had this, uh, we thought that she, even in the audition space in, in, you know, in New York City, she was able to um, hint at like, psych, you know, psychosis. Like she was, like there was something in her face where you're like, holy crap, is she really losing it? So, and she wasn't, you know, she was just acting. That's just, you know, she's just very talented. So we knew that Heather was going to, you know, deliver something special for us, but we didn't know that that was going to be it. We didn't know that there was going to be snot and that she was just going to keep this camera pointed at herself. I mean, like, to me, it's like, I've talked about this before. You know, it's like, um, you know, who else, who other, what other actress would do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, even, and like, even a normal movie, like, you know, there's very few performances that are have ever been that raw. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, you know, like, you know, I mean, I think they, they, they you know, I think they did get some, you know, they obviously got notoriety because of, you know, Blair Witch. But I don't think the actors ever got, like, the credit that they really deserve for, like, you know, them. Because, you know, and I know horror movies, it's very hard to get like, Oscar nominations and stuff. It's almost impossible. But, I mean, you know, like, I think Gwyneth Paltrow won the Oscar that year. For Shakespeare in Love, like I, yeah. I, Heather's performance next to that, any of those performances, any day, any, any day, you know. And if you really want to, and you know, you you put, you know, not not saying that you know Greta Paltrow didn't do an amazing job in Shakespeare in Love, of course she did. You put that movie up against Blair Witch, and you say, all right, who who is acting? Who's giving you a more like, you know, you know, who's acting better? Like just generally speaking, I mean, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, I, I think that a lot of people would choose Heather, you know, um, right. but, you know, but so, so, you know, so we knew that there was, uh, that it was going to be special. Um, okay. but we didn't know exactly how incredible it was going to be until we watched it. You know, after the movie comes out there, it's tremendously successful. I think the obvious answer, like how surprised were you with how well it did is very surprised. Um, you know, like, oh no, we knew it all along. Um, yeah. Did the success of the movie ever become overwhelming to you at all? Yes. And it's, and it's still sometimes uh, overwhelming. Um, like, cause, because like it, it um, you know, because you, you have to kind of, a, and it, it, it's really difficult to talk without like sounding like arrogant or, you know, full of yourself. But like, you know, we made this movie, you know, for 25,000 bucks or whatever, you know, the early part of the, the first part of it, the phase one. And, you know, we were just like, man, we, I, w- I hope we can get a video deal out of this. You know, we, we mm-hmm. knew it was a good idea, but we were like, you know, 
this, this movie's not going to play in theaters, and this movie's not going to do this, and this movie's not, I mean, you know, it can. It don't, nobody's ever done a, a theatrical movie on high eight, you know, high eight video, you know what I mean? Like, you, just just, yeah. just the, the technical aspects of it are, you know, you, we can't show this in a movie theater. Nobody will show it, you know what I mean? Like, how are you going to show it? Um, from that to, like, you know, just all the, you know, all the interest we got from the website and then like, you know, getting into Sundance and then it's selling immediately at Sundance. And then like, you know, the, the kind of the craziness that the website created up to the, you know, to the release and then Curse of the Blair Witch. And then like the idea that like our movie was like competing with, you know, Julia Roberts movie, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, cause we, early on we were like uh, uh, a friend of ours, called us from LA and they were like, she was like, you know that your movie's tracking better than like the, what was the, um, it was like a, a shark movie that came out that year with, um, anyway, it was, it was like a- um, Deep Blue Sea or- Deep Blue Sea, it's like, you know that your movie's tracking better than Deep Blue Sea, you know, like it's, it's tracking better than The Haunted, like it's tracking better than like all these, like people know about your movie, like, somehow because you know that's how they realize that, that's how they kind of test how big you know how much money to spend is like you know what's the word of mouth and you know obviously mm -hmm. all this market research that they do and um and then you know the movie comes out and you know we're on the cover of time magazine and we're like in mad magazine which was to me like the ultimate mm -hmm. you know the ultimate thing is to have uh you know us us in mad magazine i thought that was cool the parody and then all the parodies and all the you know people are mm -hmm. making fun of it and making like little tributes to it and all this stuff like um it just it just became overwhelming because we were like this is this movie's way getting way too big for what it is you know it's just a little experimental movie you know and um mm -hmm. and then you know after a few weeks two or three weeks of release you started seeing kind of the backlash where people were kind of expecting i'm not sure what they were you know they were expecting like a more conventional horror movie and obviously Blair Witch was not a conventional horror movie. So, um, so you know, there was a fear of like, okay, what are people really gonna think about this? And then, and then the, you know, the overwhelming part of like, okay, now we're gonna have to make another movie eventually, and we're gonna have to like have this as, you know, this is always gonna be like this big thing that happened in our careers, you know? So we were, you know, you know, we were all grateful and I feel, I feel always blessed to have been a part of it because it was a super, you know, completely collaborative, movie um but yeah it was overwhelming man i mean even now like there's just like uh you know the interest in it is sometimes like like too much like it's just like you don't um you know like uh, you know and, and not that i tire of it because i will you know as long as people want to talk to me about this movie i'll talk to them about it mm -hmm. but just the idea of like man people still want to talk about this movie like people still are interested and um you know so so I think it became overwhelming, uh, you know, a bunch of different times. And at times now, even now, 20 years later, it's still like, there's, there's still this, you know, this, it's big, some big ass shoes to fill. Right? right. And your heart is in romantic comedies as well. Correct. Like deep down, you've wanted to make like romantic movies. If I remember. Well, no, no, like, like deep. And, well, romantic movies, we, we wanted to make, um, after Blair Witch, we wanted to make like a romantic comedy, like, but just mm -hmm. like really disgusting romantic, like how fairly brothers meets. Sure. Bond. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, for me, like when I, you know, like you look at my film school movies and that it's comedies and action movies, like to mm -hmm. me, yeah. an action 
co- comedy is really what you know my where I thought my my sweet spot was you know and um so you know so yeah it was kind of a, a, a you know it was kind of crazy to think that something that was just you know that that didn't really you know like like because both Dan and I were not we're not horror guys. Like we mm-hmm. loved horror movies. Like we loved Exorcist, but we also loved, you know, all the other genres. So we weren't like super horror guys that were like mm-hmm. you know, experts at all the horror movies. Um, so, you know, there was like a, you know, that, th- that was a, that was tough too, because it was like, all right, so now we got to make horror movies. You know what I mean? So it took a while for us, at least for me to kind of like, you know, clear the, just, you know, have enough space from Blair Witch to like really look back at horror movies and say, okay, yeah, I can make horror movies. And I think I know, you know, I, I can learn to make them, you know, and I kind of, you know, went to school and like, you know, cause I had never really, you know, actively like studied horror, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever feel, did you ever feel like a sense of ownership when it came down to it and you guys wanted to Blair Witch to be able to breathe for a while it, it, before even thinking about doing a sequel and then Artisan, you know, did Book of Shadows or like Winger yeah. did, you know, the 2016 film. Do you ever feel kind of a sense of ownership to where you feel like, hey, that's kind of my baby? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, it's like like when we watched um, Blair Witch, the, the 2016 version, that was like the most difficult part of the movie because I, I really liked the movie. I thought it was, you know, really uh, creepy and like just really intense. Um but that was the most difficult part is the idea of like, especially after so many years, because Book of Shadows came in right after Blair Witch. Yeah. And really, like for me, Book of Shadows is kind of like a cousin of Blair Witch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not really an offspring of Blair Witch, where I think the 2016 version, even though it does share like a similar storyline, um, to me, that's the first true sequel. You know what I mean? Um, so, for, so yeah, it, so it's very, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, you know, it's weird. I mean, even like, like I went, like, you know, the, the Blair Witch video game that just came out, like, you know, it's cool to me. Like, it's really cool that, oh my God, the idea that we had so long ago, people are still like, you know, living in it and still developing ideas and still building this universe that we started. I mean, it's, it is, you know, like I again, I feel blessed to be part of it, but there is obviously like a little bit of like, you know, like, damn it, man, this is, this is my, it's our mm-hmm. movie, man, you know, like, we should be the ones doing this and that, and also, you know, um, you know, like, now there's, you know, talking, there's talk of, like, a TV show and this and that, and so, you know, we always feel like, uh, you know, we were the original, you know, parents of this movie, and, um, you know, it, it feels very strange to, you know, to give it to other well, people, you know what I mean, even though, you know, like, I think Adam and Simon, the guys who did the 2016 version, like I, I, I couldn't have chosen, you know, better filmmakers to make Blair Witch because I, we knew, like, I knew that they respected the movie and they really thought highly of it, you know. So I knew they weren't going to screw it up, at least the way I felt about it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, man, I mean, absolutely. Like, I think all filmmakers, once they sell their movie, there is a certain amount of like, you know, uh, you know, I, you know. I mean, for me, it's not really bitterness, but there is a certain kind of pain as to like, all right. You know that should have been that that should be me. You know what I mean? But that's just not the way. Is it, it works, you know? is the Blair Witch project something that you've creatively kind of put to bed yourself, or if the opportunity came, would you guys want to make one of those kind of ideas or films that you had all those years ago 
like these days or is it something you just kind of like you know we did that no i mean look, I, like honestly i just you know it's funny i just got off a call with Lionsgate, like right before this podcast, um, just talking, kind of updating. They were updating me on what, what's going on on the television side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel, and you know, and I went off. I went to Montreal last week. I think or two weeks ago to to do some videos for the video game release. You know, like I, I still, I think, and that Dan feels the same way, and I think I know Greg feels the same way. Like we still would love to play in this playground. We really would. Um, I mean, we're busy doing other things, you know, um, you know, for, fortunately. Um, you have like six projects lined up from looking yeah, at yeah, the Portals sound great. But, but I have, but, you know, we always love doing the show or doing the movie or whatever it is. You know, I, I'm here to help. You know, I'm here to mm-hmm. whatever you guys need, whether you guys, you know, whatever. And, 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 and Lionsgate has been pretty cool. I mean, they have involved us in stuff that they really don't need to legally involve us in. Mm-hmm. Um and then Greg and I, a few years ago, we pitched, uh, we actually actively went out and pitched um, uh, a Blair Witch TV show. Um, so we, we, you know, we, we definitely would love to go back into that world. It's just, you know, um, you know, it, it, for us, it's just kind of like, you know, what's the, you know, what are the, what's the right, what's the right mm-hmm. project and, you know, and then kind of like figuring out, you know, what they want us to do, you know, because right now. Um, you know, they're they're looking for other voices for other, you know, creative um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, teams to kind of lead it. And that's fine. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of their, their project. But um, I, I would always love to be, you know, involved in one way or another with uh, with Blair Witch. I mean, there's definitely some stories that are still left to be told. So what is going on with the TV show? I can't say anything. <laughs> I wish I could, but I, I can't say anything. Um, nice you know, try, Mike. I mean, the Blair Witch TV show has been kind of rumored for you know yeah. years now, um, but you know, and and, and I and you know, there's a couple of concrete things that I could say, but it's still not a hundred percent. So you know, I can't say anything, but um, hopefully something happens because I think that there's still um, you know I think still I think people would dig a show like like we had a we did a we we uh we came up with a show idea with artists with a uh, Lionsgate that was that I you know I thought I think the, I thought the fans would have loved you know um, and we also wrote years ago we wrote a sequel to the Blair Witch um, with Lionsgate that again I thought was really well done and um, you know unfortunately it was a little higher budget than they were willing to commit to um, but yeah man I mean I. You know, I, I, I still feel like there's, um, you know, there, uh, like I still have, definitely have creative energy to give it's, to Blair Witch if, they, if I ever get the chance to do it. It's such sure. a fertile playground. It does feel like Book of Shadows torpedoed a lot of what could have happened. And we're kind of touching upon that in our show we're recording now. Yeah. Without bad mouthing anyone, it just no, feels like no, no. that torpedo. I mean, I mean look, man, the, the Puck of Shadows thing was also, I, I think a lot of it was our fault as well. Um, I mean, like, you know, we came out of Blair Witch. I mean, you know, for sure, Artisan was like definitely kind of put the pedal to the metal and was like going way too fast. And like you were saying, like, I think if they would have slowed down a little bit, I think we would have made the next Blair Witch movie for sure. Um, but even when they, even when, cause, cause you know, they were like, Hey, we want to do a sequel. We want you guys to do it. And we were kind of like, well, 
we don't want to do another horror movie right now. We're like horror movie out. Like we like Blair Witch is such a dark place to go for so many years, and we want to do this comedy that we've been trying to do. And um, and they were like, all right, you know, we'll you know, you guys can do the comedy, and then we'll go and do the Blair Witch. You know, we'll, you guys can be executive producers. And we were like, that's great. You know, so they hired some writers, and mm-hmm. um, but I mean, you know, if we, you know, you know, if if the situation were different. You know, we should have just said no. We're gonna get right onto this. We're gonna get right onto it. We're mm-hmm. gonna do. A, we would have done the prequel. We would have done the Ellie Kedward story. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was. You know, but but the the last kind of straw was that. You know, they went once they said, "Hey, we'd like you to do the prequel," because they wanted us to do a sequel. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, "No, the prequel is not gonna work." And I'm like, "We want to do a prequel. We want to do something different. We don't want to do like a, you know." We don't want look you know, more, basis. yeah, more shaky footage. More, yeah, we don't yeah, exactly. We don't want to stay away from found footage. We don't want to mm-hmm. do. We want to do something completely different, you know. And um, finally, they tested the idea, and they were like, you know, we think a prequel would be a good idea. We tested it, and it mm-hmm. tested really positively, and we want you guys to do it. But the thing is that we we need to release it in October, next October. Mm-hmm. This is like December. Uh-huh. And they were like, so and we're like, so you give, you want us to write and direct and cast and edit and a movie and have it released in ten months? And it's a period yes. piece. Not and only that, piece yeah. and, and it's an, and it's in the winter, so we're gonna have to go somewhere that has snow, like mm-hmm. in early spring. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, and we were like, no. And also, I mean, you know, also a problem we had is that we had made you know a pretty good amount of money, so. Mm-hmm monetarily we weren't like desperate like a lot of other filmmakers that sell their first film and they'll get you know they'll, they'll make any money and they're like i gotta i gotta yeah. work. i gotta pay the bills we had more money than we had ever had before so right. there was no financial incentive and to me like you know you know and also i mean you know it, there's fear you know what i mean like like i think dan and i definitely had this spotlight on us and um you know we knew that we were gonna have to make another movie eventually, and mm-hmm. that was a you know that was a lot of pressure, man. It's really, I mean, you imagine like you know following up Blair Witch Project. That's a tough, that's a tough thing to do, you know. Is uh, that the? Did you say that fear or that maybe being a little gun shy is maybe the main reason why there's such a break between Blair Witch and Altered and then Lovely Molly? Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely, man. I mean, you know, I, I think I think that what I, you know, like looking back on it, I think I should have like, I should have like taken some time off and then gone, mm-hmm. you know, just dealt with my family stuff and then come back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we mm-hmm. kind of kept working and kind of half-assed working, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, man. I mean, it's definitely there was definitely a fear of just you know failing and a fear of like people you know, realizing that we weren't like geniuses and, you know, all this yeah. stuff kind of go, comes with a, you know, mm-hmm. with a sophomore movie, you know what I mean? Um, but I think, and, 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 for, and again, like, again, like back to the horror thing, like at least I, you know, I know Dan, Dan probably the same way. Like we never consider ourselves horror filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we had like 10 scripts ready to go of mo- of horror movies that we've been wanting to make for, you know, since we were kids, you know, there wasn't a backlog of horror movies. There wasn't, you know, um, so for us to kind of, you know, like for me, I just wanted to, f- I wanted to feel comfortable and I wanted to feel like truly, I want to make a movie for the right reasons. Yeah, know? definitely. 
you know, and and uh, we had a lot of opportunities to make like you know bigger Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. and that we turned down. Um, you know, that I think was a pretty good, probably a good decision at that time. Um, but you know, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, we were. I mean, dude, I was like you know thirty years old, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it was you know I I never imagined that I was going to have that kind of success that quickly, you know. It's a lot to take yeah, in at any age. It was overwhelming, man. It was overwhelming. Right. I mean, even if you had like ten movies under your belt before something like the Blair Witch Project hits, who it, who could be ready for that level of success so quickly? That's a hard thing. It, yeah, it was. It was. It's never like like the only other per. I mean, because you know, before Blair Witch, you know, there was like you know El Mariachi and you know mm-hmm. Clerks and you know Sex Lies and Videotape. These you know mm-hmm. these indie movies that had made a little bit of money, but I mean. You know, never had. It. I mean, if somebody would have said, "Hey, your movie's going to make 140 million dollars domestic," we would have been like, "Are you freaking out of your mind?" Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Even, even even 10 million was like, "Oh my god, if we make That's 10 million, imagine that." Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you know, no, you know, the only other person that I can compare that to is you know is Oren Pelly, you know, who did Paranormal Activity mm-hmm. kind of out of nowhere and it had this huge success, and he's kind of he's retired now. You know, what I mean, like he, you know. Just you know, like it, it just like it didn't. It, it's hard. It's hard to yeah. come back, you know, after a, a movie that's successful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, I uh, I actually went to a dinner party at his house a couple years ago, and he was just like in his sweats talking about like designing an app at this point. So, <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah, the I greatest mean, thing I mean, ever. Yeah, he he's. Like, I mean, I, I've 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 um I've hung out with him a little bit, I and mean, he's a great guy. And he yeah, you know, he he gives you know all the credit in the world to Blair Witch, you know? Um, and, you know, and I love his movie. I think it's one of the, like, paranormal, like, the first one, I think, is, you know, one yeah. of the best conflict movies ever. Um, and, um, but just, you know, it's it's funny, like, you know, what he did afterwards, you know, he just, he, you know, he kind of, he got, got a gun shot, you know what I mean? I think that's, you know, you got to, um, you know, um, but, and all, but also he made, you know, he got attached to Insidious and, you know, he, you know, and the Paranormal Activity made so much money on the sequels and stuff. So for him, there wasn't, you know, again, there wasn't a monetary reason to right. go out and make films. And he just felt like, yeah. hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done with this yeah. now. I, and I've yeah. tried to get him, like, I've, I've tried to, like, seduce him. Like, I'm like, dude, man, let's do an anthology. You just do, like, a little 15-minute movie. Come on, man. And he's like, hell no, dude. So he's doing I'm the George Costanza. Yeah, like George Costanza, leave on a high note type of thing. Like, just, I'm <laughs> yeah. out. So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so, you know, I mean, he's a smart guy. And he's in, he lives in New Zealand now. So he's yeah. completely uh, abandoned the L.A. thing, which is, you know, I think is a great, is a, you know, is, you know, I've stay, I've tried to stay away as from from LA as possible, you know what I mean? Um, because I'm afraid of like what it'll do to me, you know what I mean? Um, so you know, I, I don't blame him for anything that he's done, but it it is it's difficult to come back after like such a such a crazy success, you know, like kind of out of nowhere success, you know. Well, Eduardo, thank you so much for your time. I know you're still active with um, Queens of the South on the USA Network, right? Yeah, I'm doing yeah. a lot of television, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, my partner Greg and I are uh, about to pitch a show with Sam Raimi. So we are, uh, are that's our big thing right now is trying mm-hmm. to get a TV show uh, going, and mm-hmm. uh, we're we're getting close. We're getting very close. So that's a big thing. And is Portals completed? 
Portals is completed. It's coming out. I think next month, it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's coming out soon, and that and that's that was a great thing because that, I thought that movie was going to be lost. Mm-hmm. Um, they just had a lot of production problems, and uh, so luckily they, you know, they they put it together and uh, and they're going to release. It's a good film. It's a good anthology, man. It's a cool little science fiction anthology. So excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a thrill for me. I mean, like I said, you still owe me a pair of boxer shorts, man. <laughs> All right, well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll start. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, anytime, you know, you guys need, uh, you know, call me up. You guys know my email. So I will take you up on that. Trust me. Sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> Thank right, you, well, Eduardo. Have an awesome day. Thank you. All right. All right. To you, our listeners, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Eduardo Sanchez. We hope you really enjoyed all of our coverage of the first Blair Witch Project movie. Again, um, we kind of talk about this a little bit more in future episodes, but I don't say this lightly. I think the Blair Witch Project is the most important movie of the past 20 years, just in terms of the opportunities it opened in filmmaking for other people in a way to show studios that low budget outside of the box horror there's a real market for it and that people really want it so um, we were really happy to talk about it so if you want to communicate with us if you want to give us your thoughts and your feedback on any of the Blair Witch Project movies the best way to do so is reach right out to us over in Twitter we are at pod and pendulum over on Twitter and we interact with everybody if you prefer to put your thoughts in long form Drop us a note on email. We really haven't gotten too much email, and I think that's because we get so much Twitter at this point. But we are over at podandthependulum at gmail.com. We will definitely read, you know, if we will definitely read if we think it's worthy of reading your response on the air and kind of give our own thoughts and feelings. Until next time, we return next week with uh, Jinx from the scream addicts podcast he is going to give us his thoughts on book of shadows he knows he is in for quite a battle there uh, since jerry and i have some very strong let's put it this way um this is the only movie coming up book of shadows that i think jerry would rate lower than his thoughts on jason goes to hell so that maybe gives you a little bit of an idea of what you're in for next week listeners after that, our final film in our coverage of the Blair Witch series will be 2016's The Blair Witch. So both of those shows are actually recorded, and I just need to put them together, so we are good to go. Until next time, folks, thank you once again for listening. We are out of here.